Welcome to the Remote Working Podcast, brought to you by Cloudbase. Welcome to the Remote Working Podcast Health and Safety Edition. Now, I know for many it's not the most exciting topic in the world, but as we sit here in the shadows of, I think it's fair to say, a pretty turbulent 2020, or perhaps that's just an understatement. It's something that business leaders and owners have had to take a long, hard look at and perhaps quickly reevaluate their contingency plans or indeed even write one. Today, we talk to a man who's made health and safety his life's work. He's the managing director of Collins Consult and helps businesses of all sizes produce bespoke safety solutions. He regularly has to deal with environmental health officers, which I know what you're thinking, rather him than me, and can assist your business with compliance issues through to establishing and fostering a positive health and safety culture. David Collins, welcome to the programme. Thanks for having me, Dan. Thank you very much. You're more than welcome. Now, everything I've said is true, isn't it? You've pretty much dedicated your life to health and safety. Yes, um, over 20 years now. It is my third career, but I say I've been in it for 20 years. I know what you're thinking. I don't look that old. Um, <laughs> you definitely don't. Um, <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> I've only got a few grey hairs um, after dealing with all those um, EHOs and health and safety inspectors. <laughs> I started off in the, in the motor industry and then went my way through into main consultancy about 15 years ago, uh, working across many, many industries from construction through to blue chip manufacturing organisations, studying uh, along the way and you're learning every day, you certainly are with health and safety. I'm a charter member of the Institute of Occupational Safety and Health, which we call IOSH. Um, so I'm a CMIOSH. I was the past president or past chair of IOSH Merseyside, in which we looked after 1,400 members. I'm also a member of the International Institute of Risk and Safety Management and um, also a member of the Health and Safety Lawyers Association. Started up my own practice um, in 2011, focused on making people safe at work and helping employers do that in a, a reasonably practicable way. I mean, what strikes me there is there's a lot of health and safety affiliated bodies and organisations that you can join. The, 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 there is, uh, and they all have a, a different focus. You know, the, the, the you know, IOSH, and that's a truly global organisation. Um, I think the last count there was over 45,000 members worldwide. Wow. Only a few thousand of us are chartered members um, I think there's about six or 7,000 chartered members. So being chartered is like being a chartered accountant. Those are at the top of the, the profession who can give the uh, most reasonable advice. Um, I'm also a member of the Occupational Safety and Health Consultants Register since it was launched in I think it was 2011 and to be on that register you have to attain a certain level of qualification and continuing professional development and um, certainly this year um, that continuing professional development around pandemics and certainly COVID-19 has been um, uh, uh, certainly helped with uh, making sure I'm, I'm up to date with the latest thinking. Yeah well I don't think there's enough governing bodies out there if anyone wants to start one I think now's a good time obviously. Uh, another one for you to join there David. <laughs> Quite possibly. <laughs> of course we are in challenging times here. Um, health and safety I mean it can often be seen can't it as a as a necessary annoyance in the workplace but I guess you know with the workplace landscape changing you've never been more in demand. Yes absolutely. People say it's a necessary evil. Um, I hear that term quite often. And it, it certainly can seem like that until someone needs you either to keep the business open or to assist them with an investigation from a regulator. You know, everyday terms for me like risk assessments and control measures and PPE are things we deal with as practitioners every day. Sure. They're now commonplace in every home. You know, even youngsters 
are aware of these phrases all because of what's happened since February this year with the the pandemic. I mean, what I would say is that companies with this new normal are switching on to risk management, mainly because you've either got to be COVID secure or you've got to pivot and allow your employees to work from home. And we safety for one reason, and that's for the hell of it. Humane, economic, and legal. And the humane reason is we don't want to see anyone injured at work. And that's my primary focus when I'm advising companies is to ensure people are kept as safe as they can be. Secondly, the economic. Accidents cost money. Organisations money through civil claims, through uninsured losses, through management time to deal with those claims and you may have to replace an employee to do someone else's work. You may have a a loss of business or trade damage to equipment. And then there's the legal side. Compliant health and safety law is a legal requirement and those that breach the law will face criminal punishment through either fines or in the worst cases imprisonment. So when when we're looking at the pandemic and in particular the two areas of COVID-19 secure um, and adjustments and work in particular, and that can bring on some difficulties, and working from home. But in law, there's no distinction between the two. Right. We owe, well, an organisation owes the same duty to all its employees. Yeah, and for the hell of it, I guess that's a term that's widely used within your industry, and, and that's that's how you, you kind of assess any kind of risk, isn't it? Yeah, well, the term hell of it is just to, to remember, you know, or to remind ourselves, you know, why we do what we do. Um, and it's, you know, it's set out that people are, are important first, and then it's about money second you know the, the term profit before safety is is often um used when there's been an accident and w- one of the reasons is the health and safety at work act requires employers the reasonably practical measures to ensure the health safety and welfare of their employees now one of the issues with that is the employer gets to decide the measures that they take on a balance of um, the risk versus the time, trouble, cost and effort. Now, that itself is extremely subjective. So it's one person or a group of people looking at a situation and deciding on what is the most appropriate way to proceed. Now, this obviously can become quite important when we're looking at COVID-19 secure procedures because what you think as an employer is a suitable measure will be scrutinised potentially by a local authority inspector or a health and safety inspector. Sure. And those subjective decisions can prove to be quite tricky. Yeah, I guess. And But what, what struck me, actually, when you were talking about your credentials and, and all those bodies that you're a member of, essentially, is that a lot of them seem to have, have only been set up in recent years. And when I say recent years, I'm talking kind of the past sort of 10, 20 years. But health and safety has been around a lot longer than that. Has it just got stricter over time? Yes. Uh, I mean, the, well, IOSH has been around for quite some time. I, I think in 2012, we celebrated the 50th anniversary of the local branch. But the International Institute of Risk and Safety Management is certainly not as old and the Health and Safety Lawyers Association isn't, and certainly OSHCA is 2011 when that was formed in, in a bid to try and help with accrediting safety consultants because anyone can set themselves up as a consultant, unfortunately, in my in my trade, and it, it can be quite difficult in, in distinguishing between those that are good and those that aren't. Sure. It has got stricter. You know, the Health and Safety Work Act's been with us for 46 years. It's been with us since uh, 1974. And in that time, you know, things have developed things have moved on and we do have in the uk one of the best um, safety records in, in in europe if not the best and it's through 
the government and, and the HSE really making sure that the regulations they put in place are first of all achievable but secondly the, you know they do look after um, employees in the workplace and that and it's not just a focus on safety it's on health as well um, so when you're looking at health and safety the two are slightly different insofar as safety is immediate you fall off a chair today you're likely to be injured today but health is a cumulative build-up of doing something wrong for a period of time whether that's breathing in dust or lifting a box the wrong way or indeed sitting at your chair at your desk incorrect for many many hours a day those health effects are cumulative over a period of time yeah i guess the obvious case there is is asbestos isn't it really nobody kind of understood the dangers of asbestos probably before 1974 of course when uh, that health and safety at work act came in and and look at the problems that caused yeah absolutely and there's many thousands of people that unfortunately die each year from asbestos exposure and the latency can be anywhere from from 15 to 20 to 25 years after exposure. Um, so those people that, you know, were getting exposed in the 70s and 80s, um, and even, you know, the late 80s, are getting ill many, many years later. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, there wasn't a, a full ban on all asbestos in the UK until 1999, believe wow, it or not. really? That seems pretty late to me, because I think people knew the dangers way before then, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, there was there was three stage and dates, one in the 70s, one in the 80s, and then a full ban in in 19. 19- Right. Um, you know, you'll often hear people say it's white asbestos is the safe asbestos. I can assure you no asbestos is safe. Right. Good tip. Good tip there. Let's not work with asbestos, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> so do you think then that, that, that businesses have had to completely rethink their business continuity plans? If, if of course, they had them at all. Uh, I mean, most businesses that I know certainly didn't have, you know, what to do in a global pandemic as part of, of their business continuity plan. Uh, is this something that's going to keep risk managers up at night for, for a long time to come? Yes, I, I, I think it will. I mean, there's been some painful lessons of the, the past seven months of, of, of living with this pandemic now. And, you know, we are approaching a new normal. What will keep risk managers awake at night is what's the next emerging risk? What's the next thing that's going to happen that's going to cause such upheaval but put so many businesses at risk? You know, it wasn't long ago that we were talking about opening up hospitality, helping businesses become COVID-19 secure, and the amount of money that they've had to spend in signage, barriers, training, one-way systems, hygiene. You know, it's cost businesses a lot of money. And now, in tier three, a lot of those businesses have to close. And and so... It's looking at how can businesses pivot, and, and and we've seen examples of that through the early days of lockdown, where you know um, food establishments tend to take away, and then there was the, they say food outside once it started to ease slightly, and and of course you know businesses that can allow employees to work from home have had to do so extremely quickly. Yeah, you know not in in, in just in terms of. How can they work from home? But the tech that they need, how they're going to set up their workstations, and obviously it was work from home in March, and then it eased. And now the new message is work from home if you can effectively. Sure. And I think effectively is the key word because businesses need to function. But I think it's an easy message for the government to send out um, because we've already done it in lockdown, and I think that's the key: is that we've proved we can do it once. 
So business continuity planning, I think, is crucially important going forward to say, well, how can we deal with a mass shutdown of national proportions and still function as a business? Yeah. And and have you come across anybody uh, during this pandemic that did have uh, what to do in a global pandemic on their business continuity plan? No. (laughs) (laughs) No no clients whatsoever have really thought about it. The big question as well is actually whether any governments in the world actually put it on their continuity plan, I guess. But we don't want to get too political. Yeah, they probably had a think tank that had probably talked about these things. And But as we know from, you know, from widespread coverage around the insurance industry, I know a lot of policies didn't cover pandemics. Right. Um, maybe because they didn't think it was ever something that was going to happen. You know, I, I remember back to the days of avian flu, HN5-1, and I think it was back in 2009, and then obviously SARS. Yes. Um, you know, so there's been near attempts at global pandemics but nothing i think that's um that's you know reached so wide since i think it was what the spanish flu in over 100 years ago well exactly it was, uh, it was the nearest one that, to, to this one that is probably the nearest thing and, and i i guess you know you hear these in, these insurance stories and a lot of them are, cr- are cr- trying to backtrack because it doesn't obviously explicitly say whether it's it's covered or not within the pandemic but because because it doesn't explicitly say it that means it doesn't cover it in an insurance term i guess uh, but you can you can bet your your bottom dollar now that every single insurance policy you ever take out it's there in bold this is not covered under a global pandemic now <laughs> yeah specific exclusions yes absolutely (laughs) absolutely um so there's a lot to do uh for businesses you know they've had to rewrite their business continuity plan they've had to put in uh what to do in case of a global pandemic and keeping those those employees safe um they've got that duty of care to to employees um and suppliers and contractors whoever's working for them both on site at their premises but also at, at home as well um what are the penalties if they get it wrong okay well there's there's well first of all there's there's looking at the, the two elements of, of criminal and civil law um, and what people often don't realize is that when a regulator comes to inspect if there's been a breach of law it's a, it's a criminal investigation and not covered by insurance unfortunately on on the civil side if an employee brings a claim that's generally covered by your employer's liability insurance policy and and that, and that could become an issue you know if people are having to work from home for long terms and the right equipment's not in place or the right procedures for making sure they have rest breaks they could bring claims but just back to the criminal side with COVID, the health safety executive are the main ones taking um, the lead on inspections and spot checks. And there's a lot of spot checks out there on, on businesses to make sure they're COVID-19 secure. Now, one of the big issues with, with the HSE doing it is, first of all, we mentioned earlier about subjective elements of, 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 of risk management and being reasonably practicable. So when an inspector comes into your premises or comes into a premises to do an inspection, they're making a judgment about your control measures and whether they fit with the guidance or indeed legislation where it exists. Now, with COVID-19 secure, some of it's guidance and some of it's legislation. And I'll, I'll give you an example, um, social distancing. Um, yeah. It's two metres, uh, but where you can't achieve two metres, it's one metre plus mitigating measures. Sure. So yeah, with the, with the HSE, they... Um, have to power the power to enter premises if they believe something unsafe is um, underway, and and their main role is to obviously protect people to make sure that employers are not 
undermining employees and making sure they have the correct safety measures in place. Sure. And they have a range of enforcement options that go from advice to more formal approaches, such as improvement notices, prohibition notices. So if an organisation is breaching the rules, they have the power to prohibit prohibit an activity or shut the business down. Right. Certainly in the worst cases, they can prosecute organisations in which there could be substantial fines. And actually, if you go and read the guidance about being COVID-19 secure on the government website, for those organisations that breach health and safety law um, and fail to comply with any enforcement notices and serious breaches or failures can be met with um, a period in prison of wow. up to two years. Oh, wow. So being yeah. COVID-19 secure is great but when you get it if you get it wrong and you flagrantly disregard the law then you know the worst sanction is um a a alleviation of your liberty absolutely and presumably that's for the directors of the business that's the 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 owners of the business yes but can also be employees if they're if they're breaching the rules as well obviously imprisonment you'd have to do something pretty severe yeah and you'd uh, you know you'd have to uh you know make, make that conscious decision to to fragrantly flout the rules i guess it'd have to be provable presumably yes absolutely you know when um when we're looking at the, the hse as i said you know we we've come across overzealous inspectors in the past and we've come across some very good inspectors but it is their subjective elements and their subjective judgments when they visit a premises or a site they're looking at what you're doing and whether they're measuring against that against a set of guidance the other issue you've got is employees or members of the public and there's been a lot of calls to the hsc helpline and this helpline is written in all the COVID guidance and is in the public domain. And the problem you've got is people with smartphones or potentially a disgruntled employee going to the HSE and, and whistleblowing and mm. saying, well, my employee is not following the rules. Now, whether the employer is or isn't, you could just have a say a disgruntled employee that sure. just wants to make trouble for the employer. And um, we've come across cases recently where you know that that's been the case where employees have been happy unhappy with a, a certain situation in the workplace that's not related to covid but have used covid as a as a as a veiled threat to the employer and is that pretty easy to see through are the health and safety of executives of course they're probably duty bound to investigate every single claim uh, of, of malpractice within an organization but normally is it is it kind of easy to spot that disgruntled employee just trying to cause trouble for their employer yeah because because often there's no basis in their their accusations but what it does do it it brings a regulator into your workplace that can can bring on other issues and uh, for example the coming in to do an investigation in terms of how you're behaving um as an employer and whether you've taken reasonably practicable measures the issue is there's that many calls coming in that the HSE can't visit every single complaint. Sure. So some of it's done via telephone calls, you know, explain the measures you've got in place, send me a photograph. But if, you know, say there was an employee where a number of employees had called, then you're more likely to get a visit. And then, of course, there's unannounced spot checks as well. And how do they typically work? So, uh, for example, I don't know, um, a, a hair salon uh, not following social distancing measures. The uh, the employees that are working there are supposed to be wearing a mask 
and they're not. Um, they're allowing people to sit next to each other. Would it just be somebody, uh, you know, a health and safety inspector turning up uh, as uh, posing as a customer for a haircut, for example, or would they come in and announce themselves? No, they come in and announce themselves. They don't do the, the cloak and dagger visits. They will come in and announce themselves, show their, their warrant cards. And, and it could be a local authority inspector. It doesn't always have to be from the health and safety executive, you know, the local authority um, carry out inspections as well, depending on what area and what sector that they do they, they, the business they visit and works in. But yeah, they will denounce themselves. And is it true that as much as this pandemic is new for members of the public, but also business owners as well, it, it must be very new for health and safety executives to get their head around the legislation and the rules. So is it true to say that they're feeling their way as well uh, in all of this? Or is it pretty clear cut what a health and safety executive would be looking for as a clear breach of rules? I think some elements are quite clear. I think others are less clear. And and part of it is the pace at which the guidance and regulations can move sometimes. You know, there were situations back in the early days of the pandemic, I'd write a policy one afternoon and it'd be out of date the next morning <laughs> uh, just because of the, the sheer pace. Um, but what we have now is we have clear guidance from the, the, the government, which is um, hands, face and space, which is the, the latest slogan to, to come from the Prime Minister's office. And I mean, what it's fair to say is that some things are quite clear, because if you were to go into um, an organisation, for example, and they have bars of soap in the bathroom and no liquid soap, then that's obviously a clear breach because everyone's touching the bar of soap, sure. although it is used to wash your hands, where you know a pump dispenser is obviously going to be much more suitable. With social distancing, that's less clear because of the two metres if you can, but if not, it's one metre plus mitigated measures. So that could be side by side, back to back, limit face to face time. So, so there's, you know, you have had one organisation that I've been advising. We've put a one-way system in, but it requires people to walk past each other in opposite directions. Now, right. you're limiting your face-to-face contact, and you are more than a metre side by side. So there's no risk, but then that will be down to someone looking at that and thinking, well, does that actually fit with the guidance as it is? No, I'm quite confident to say that it does. So some things are not not as clear-cut as they as they probably could be, and I think that's part of the problem with, with the regulations and the guidance around COVID is that they can be quite complex. Yeah, absolutely. And hands, face, space, of course, uh, by the time uh, people listen to this podcast, that may have changed again, of course. So, you know, it's, uh, it's always worth keeping up with that yeah. uh, that extra guidance. I, I I mean, in the last sort of six months, uh, I think it's changed about three or four times, hasn't it? Um, so it's, it's good that you know what it is, as you'd expect. <laughs> I'd be worried if I didn't. <laughs> so um, would I. I mean, we, we, we could be back to uh, protect the, the NHS um, in, in, in the coming weeks, judging on the numbers. So we, we'll, we'll see where it goes to. Now, it's a it's a heavy topic. It's it's hard hitting. And I appreciate that. But it is quite a fun industry to be in, isn't it? Because, you know, people talk out there about health and safety gone mad. And there are some brilliant examples uh, where health and safety has indeed gone mad. And even a man uh, that's been in the industry for, for, for 20 years and, and lives and breathes this stuff, you must admit uh, that some of the stories out there are just absolutely ridiculous uh, when it comes to health and safety. Could you share some of those with us? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, everyone will be familiar with the bonkers, conquer stories from 
you know the, the mid 2000s that received widespread publicity you know, you know preventing children from playing conkers in the school playgrounds and unfortunately one of the terms i have to use is that common sense is not all that common and often people use health and safety as an excuse not to do things um i'll give you a couple of examples uh, more recently in september of this year there's a report that a a local council in London had banned their staff from smoking whilst working from home. Now, I certainly think they were were, were overreaching um, on their um, duties as, as an employer there, yes. um, although they did defend it. He did defend it to say they were trying to lead by example. Um, but it was obviously, you know, a, a definite attempt to um, restrict people from making their own decisions. But, you know, more more closely linked to health and safety, the, the, the one story that always sticks with me is that it's banned for employees to put up Christmas decorations in the workplace. Oh, okay. You know, which which Scrooge thought of that then? <laughs> oh, it's a myth. Oh, good. <laughs> well, it, it, it's a myth. Yeah. So, you know, the HSE a few years ago published the Mythbusters website and they bring out posters and they do campaigns around some of the, the, the main myths that that will be out there in the press and employees can put up Christmas decorations as long as they do it in a planned and safe manner so rather than standing on your wheelie chair get a piece of or get a, a set of step ladders they're in good condition check them before you use them and make sure you don't overreach and you don't stand on the top rung you know so these things uh, come into the press quite often um, and without good reason scaremongering I think I think that's what it is and uh, your directions for putting up Christmas decorations they're spoken by a true uh, health and safety professional that was <laughs> that's very good and of course hopefully um, you know Chris, well Christmas is just around the corner and hopefully we can have some kind of Christmas that resembles normality although uh, I'm not sure how likely that's going to be uh, yes well we, we are, it remains to be seen it does it does um, now more and more people uh, are obviously now working from home and, and and likely to continue for some time yet, maybe even into 2021. Um, what are some of the key liabilities that sit with the employer uh, that may not be entirely obvious? And how can employers minimise their risk? Yes. Yeah, so as, as, I, as I mentioned earlier, the, the new message is you work from home if you can effectively and i think there's got to be a, a distinction between whether it's temporary working from home but i certainly see that as we go forward working from home will become the new norm so some of the, the key issues that employees should look at is ensuring that their employees are safe first and foremost mm. and but not overreaching into the home environment so We've got to treat all employees the same, whether they're in an office-based environment, a construction site, driving a bus or working from home. Sure. Now, there's some key pieces of legislation to, to be mindful of in relation to working from home, and one of them is the display screen equipment regulations. Now, they've been with us for an awfully long time. 1992, they came in, revised in 2002. But as a, as a piece of legislation, they have tried to keep pace with changes in technology but most people nowadays are working from tablets and will work in a variety of manners. So there is a whole host of guidance out there around ergonomics and 
taken regular breaks. So it's down for the employer to make sure that they consult with their employee and do an assessment of what they need to work from home effectively. Now, one of the, the, the key issues that I've been dealing with some of my clients is that not all employees live in a house that, that they're fortunate enough to have a workspace or a separate office. Sure. Some will be living in, you know, an apartment where they don't have room for a desk and they've got to look at different solutions. Other employees will have, you know, a, a kitchen table that they've got to work from. So it's with the, the employer looking at, well, what's the best way for us to make sure that this employee is safe? So by doing an assessment of their working environment insofar as it relates to the job that they do. So an example of that is if electrical equipment's provided, then that should be safe, should have a PAT test sure. or portable appliance test, um, which is done depending on the risk with the piece of equipment. Um, other things could be manual handling assessments. So for example, if you live in a third floor flat and you get a delivery at the ground floor and you get a box of heavy files, how are you going to get that from the door at ground floor to your workstation. Sure. Now that may need some sort of, you know, specific control measures put in place or reasonable adjustments. The measures that are put in place by the employer need to be proportionate to the risk. So I mentioned before the term, so far as reasonably practicable. So it's not about managing risk at all costs. It's about looking at the risk and working out the most effective way of dealing with that risk, whether it be financial or trouble. So, you know, most people today have got their own PCs and laptops, but are they up to date? Are they modern? Are they yeah. one of the latest software packages? Yeah. Um, are they going to be effective for the employee to work at home? For example, you know, today we're doing this meeting via Zoom. Yeah. You know, do you Zoom Teams or FaceTime prior to March this year? <laughs> um, and yet now it's a daily occurrence. Um, you know, so I've had to watch a number of YouTube videos to make sure I'm interacting in the correct manner. And there's also a, a lot around etiquette on, on, on course as well. So noisy workmen not being in the house when you're, <laughs> you're, you're on a on a virtual meeting or a podcast um, I, I, so, and I, know I should tell the tell the listeners that uh, you had to go and silence some builders in your house before we recorded this didn't you I did they'll be putting in now that it's my fault that they delayed keeping the work you know, completing the work um so yeah so with the display screen equipment regulation regular breaks for people that are um you know undertaking and uh, work on a computer during the day and there's there's a whole host of guidance out there from the Chartered Institutes of ergonomics and human factors and um, there's information on the health and safety executive website about how to set up your workstation electrical safety manual handling and and also the the things around mental health as well and stress potentially um isolation not being in an open plan office you know some employees might go days without speaking with people so employers need to make sure that they you know have good communication tools in place to communicate with their employees to keep them up to date with what's going on in the organization so yeah so there, there's a number of factors for for employers um, to consider in, in what's going to be a, a, a new normal and certainly completing risk assessments and revising any policies is going to be is going to be key to that and do you think that it's it could be from a health and safety perspective quite intrusive to the employee because you know historically uh, employees have been used to going to work going to an office interacting with their you know their teams and and, and their bosses and and whoever else clients uh, within their office environment and since the instruction has been for a lot of people now to come and work from home 
they are now subject to the these kind of health and safety assessments, such as manual handling and assessing how many flights of stairs they might have to go up, such as, you know, what table and chair they're sitting at within the home whilst they're on their working day. So it's difficult now for them to kind of go home, close the door and forget about and separate themselves from work. Is it quite intrusive? And is that fair? Well, there's two sides to, to, to this coin. Um, first of all, doing assessments is intrusive and employers generally wouldn't go to someone's home and do the assessment themselves. It will be a, a self-assessment, possibly with some photographs and questionnaires used to inform the um, employee and then some online training potentially around display screen equipment how you do the assessment set up a workstation so that can be intrusive and and certainly you know where does it stop you i go to someone's home and do an assessment and i find out that the kettle's not fit for purpose mm. but is that related to their work activity or job at home which in most cases it won't be because it's their home and their kettle sure and um, so you you've got to be you know you you can give advice on how to stay safe in the home but it is someone else it is someone's home at the end of the day certainly with you know switching off for a lot of people that i speak to you know they are finding that people are emailing at really bizarre hours of the day yeah and if you're working from home you've got you've got a bit more flexibility in terms of of how you can schedule your day so if you wanted to take a few hours off in the afternoon because you can catch up that evening people may do to say go and walk the dog or go for a coffee but then maybe catch up at emails say seven eight o'clock at night the other thing is as well people all on the internet at the same time slow speed so people might arrange calls at different times outside the core working hours so so there is there is an intrusiveness to it and and and, and a problem where people may may not be able to switch off from the job because it's always there in their home um, i'm quite fortunate i have my own office at home so i can walk out shut the door turn yeah. the lights off and once i've done that i've finished for the day yes you've, you've had you've got your separation but as you quite rightly pointed out earlier on in, in in this episode you know some people don't have that you know some people have to sit there at the kitchen table family around them and uh, and, and of course that's not always conducive to a, a a positive working environment and you mentioned as well you mentioned you know mental health and and, and stress um you know uh, that can really take its toll can't it but i'm sure there are many positives also oh absolutely and from from my own experience of of lockdown you know not having to commute not having to be in a car for long periods of time each working day learning new skills through having to do online meetings being able to go to the gym each day rather than sitting in a car walking the dog seeing yeah. my children being able to cook more because I'm at home and I found it I'm, I'm a lot more productive now I've worked at home on and off for many many years uh, so I'm, I'm quite used to it. But I think, you know, people focus a lot on the stress and mental health issues and the isolation, but there's also a um, work-life balance can be a lot better. Um, so, and uh, you know, in, in the early days, especially when we, when we had good weather, you know, sitting in the garden working was was, was absolutely delightful. Absolutely. And so there, I, is, there I, is a lot of positives. Yeah. And many, many people did that, didn't they? And, and, and I think employers, actually, um, um, employers are quite surprised in, um, in, in many circumstances uh, how well most employees ha- have adapted, actually, and how good it's been. 
for for the well-being of their staff. Not all, but some, um, where they have had more flexibility. And like you say, you know, maybe working a bit later in the evening, but taking the dog for a walk in the afternoon. Uh, it's had a really positive impact. And, you know, some big employers out there, and I, I can think of Twitter, for example, as being one of them, where they said, actually, you know, employees, you, you, you're not expected to come back into the office. They've, they've found it's been very positive to to keep them working from home and they found them more motivated. Yes, absolutely. And, and I think, as I say, work from home will be the, the new norm going forward. And it's a case of, as that goes from temporary home working to long-term home working, that's when employers really need to focus on the control measures in place to keep their employees safe with equipment set up integration um you know a virtual integration uh, making sure that they've got the right communication tools and that there's there's a, an open door policy on on matters of liability and, and and risk and i think once employers have cracked that then it will be it will be good for for them in terms of of productivity and hopefully profitability because if you're not having to have big offices and you've got a reduction in rent, it's going to go straight onto your bottom line. Absolutely right. And and I think many business owners are, uh, are seeing the benefits of that already, uh, albeit as long as they've got short leases rather than long ones. Uh, and and you mentioned communication uh, being, being key. Uh, there's a really good uh, episode podcast episode within this series of podcasts by Cloudbase uh, on communication, uh, both corporate communication internally, externally uh, for suppliers, government, uh, and also contractors as well by Debbie Cat from Cat Consulting. So check that out if you haven't done already. Uh, there are a number of employers, of course, uh, that still rely on employees to work from an office environment uh, where, of course, it's not possible for people to work from home. How do they go about becoming COVID compliant. Um, surely that's a bit of a minefield in itself, but I'm sure something that you can help with alongside CloudBase. Yes, absolutely. And obviously it's, I mean, it's called being COVID-19 secure. And, and what it requires is all employees that are, are working from a, a premises is to complete a risk assessment. Now, there's some guidance on the, on the government website, um, but again, it can be quite confusing in terms of what is expected. And one of the big issues is, potentially older properties, properties where you can't have uh, one-way systems or where the staircases are too narrow or you know, you, you, you've got a very small lift. You know, where you may have a, an office building that's got 300 people, but yet a narrow staircase and a small lift, how are you going to get, you know, even if you reduce the numbers to 150, how are you going to get them in and out of the, of the premises? Staggered break times where you've got communal kitchen facilities, for example, and, and we mentioned hand, face and space before. You know, one of the key things is social distancing and hygiene. So things like, you know, regular hand washing, how are you going to go about that? Um, you know, a lot of modern offices these days have communal toilets on each floor. You know, if you've got 100 people working on that floor, surely they can't be all in and out the toilet washing their hands at the sure. same time. Things like issuing hand sanitizer for them to carry around or hand sanitizer stations at various points through the premises. Identifying contact points. 
light switches, door handles, you know, things where if you've got the virus in your hand, you're transmitted to a hard surface. Now, there's many, many studies out there that says, oh, it can't be transmitted via surfaces, etc. But as far as I'm aware, the current guidance is it can still live on hard surfaces for up to 72 hours. So cleaning regimes, identifying those contact points and making sure that um, they're, they're cleaned down frequently. Um, hot desking is a thing of the past because... You can't sit at a desk and then someone comes in a few hours later because, you know, you'd have to clean in between. Sure. Um, looking at social distancing, circulation of people, ensuring they stay two metres where possible. You know, that could mean putting signage down on the floor and putting in um, one-way routes with barriers. So you can see there's a lot of things to consider, you know, in it, you know, and there's, there's a lot more to it than that. There's how do people travel to work? Yeah. You know, can they use public transport, you know, and we've got these tiered systems now where, you know, public transport is, is it, it's not restricted fully, but if you can not travel on public transport, then you shouldn't do so. Um, if you do, you've then got a social distance on, on, the, on the transport and then obviously wear a face covering. People can't share cars. And then there's, you know, other organisations where it is more face-to-face because it has to be. Um, how do you manage that? You mentioned hair salons before, those, those personal services. How do, how do they operate? So, you know, there is a lot to consider. And then that's before you get into all of the ensuring people don't come, in, come into work with symptoms, supporting people that have been told to self-isolate by the test and trace system. You know, how are you going to manage peaks and troughs in work if people have to isolate? And then what if you have an outbreak in the workplace? You've got to have procedures. So uh, a single point of contact to deal with in public health or the local public health England authority within your region. So within the policies and risk assessments that you put in place, there is a a lot to consider, and that's before you get to employee fatigue. So social distancing and COVID fatigue around the measures, you know, we've all forgot to social distance. You know, the new norm is we can't shake hands. You know, someone that's been working in, in, in the corporate world doing health and safety for a very long time, it's very strange not to, to shake someone's hand it really is isn't um, it <laughs> it is it is very very strange um and then once you've got your risk assessments in place and your procedures that are fit for purpose the two crucial elements are to ensure that they're monitored and adhered to and that um you review them frequently so stay abreast of any changes in your first of all local environments and then nationally just by reviewing you know the government website staying up to date just to make sure that you've got the 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 latest guidance and thinking within your procedures yeah and i think um there's a lot to for people to consider for business owners business leaders facilities managers whoever has the responsibility of keeping their employees safe within a business there is a lot to think about more than ever now uh i think that's fair to say and i think you know don't don't be afraid to get the help i think is the is the key thing here Um, you know, never before has it probably been more important to speak to experts like yourself, you know, and bring them in um, as a, as an important and integral part uh, of their business consultancy. We've done many of these assessments now um, over, well, since March, because I had some clients that were classed as essential services. Yeah. So we've been dealing with the guidance since, you know, since before it was written. Um, in, 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 in May and, and we started coming out of that first lockdown um, so we've been dealing with you know since way before that um, and it's been interesting how it's developed and 
you know, the guidance is written by the health and safety executive. So when they're coming in to do inspections, they're obviously fully aware of it, mainly because they've drafted it um, and they're fully aware of the risk assessment process. So, you know, it is important that the measures you put in place are not lip service, but something that you can implement successfully and, you know, make sure that it's fit for purpose and robust. Um, Otherwise, you could find yourself, um, you know, under investigation and penalties from the the regulators. And that's a place that nobody wants to be, that's for sure. Uh, Can we have a little bit of fun before you go? Absolutely. So uh, more of those health and safety gone mad scenarios. Uh, I know you've got more of them. Uh, You're completely immersed in in risk and and health and safety. Uh, What are some of the best examples you can think of where health and safety has gone a little bit mad oh there's 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 plenty i could draw upon like trapeze artists having to wear hard hats oh but a a personal one and a personal favorite of mine is um a a few years many years ago now actually when my uh, my two my two boys were um just started high school and it was um it was sports day and um we got a letter through from the headmaster saying sports day is on this week and um, but no no one um, can attend due to, to health and safety reasons. Okay, um, and, and and that was it. They didn't want any any parents attending the the sports day, um, which I was quite perplexed at. I said, what are the health and safety reasons? So I got in touch with the school and said, can, can you let me know what these health and safety reasons are? And um, he couldn't give me an adequate answer. And what we got to by the end of the conversation was they were using health and safety simply as an excuse because they just didn't want to cater for parents at the sports day. Wow. It was as simple as that. And there's plenty of examples of that as you, as you go through life of people saying, oh, well, it's, um, it's because of health and safety we can't do something. When in reality, it's just that they can't be bothered <laughs> and it's an easy one to use as an excuse. I like that. And I'll remember that next time somebody tells me it's because of health and safety that we can't do something. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll have to bring you in just to just to make sure (laughs) (laughs) always challenge it absolutely absolutely uh david collins it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you uh fascinating discussion uh on health and safety in the workplace in in these well very testing and trying times that a lot of business owners and business leaders find themselves in so thank you so much for coming on the uh, remote working podcast and sharing your insights with us it's been an absolute pleasure thank you thank you Thank you for listening to the Remote Working Podcast, brought to you by Cloudbase.